one, to check on the church there at Thessalonica, but specifically to help establish them and encourage them. We talked about it as establishing and encouraging that leads to an enduring faith. They were dealing with difficult days. Certainly Paul was dealing with difficult days. Uh, we're dealing with difficult days today, but even you and I are not facing what they were facing in, in, uh, in their time. Now, is it happening in other parts of the world? Absolutely. But what we're going to see today is Paul's very pastoral response, his very heartfelt response uh, to what he sees going on in the church, but as well that he finds good news about it. And while he does find good things going on at the church Thessalonica, he doesn't say, oh, good, they're a perfect church. He doesn't go, oh, well, they don't need any help. They don't need any strengthening left. Uh, they're good to go, so we'll just move on. No, rather, he's going to say, hey, these are some really good things happening in this church, but there's more to be done. You and I should learn to be content in Christ, but we should learn to be satisfied only with Christ. But what happens when we are satisfied only with Christ and content only in Christ is it drives us to want more of Christ. It drives us to not want more things of the world, but it drives us to to pursue Jesus even further, which is going to have us dive deeper into His Word and into a walk with Him. It is going to cause our worship to go higher. It is going to cause the, the gospel to go broader into the world around us. Now let's look here at verse number 6, and we'll read verse through 13. But now when Timothy came from you unto us and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. For now we live, if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Remember verse 13 as we get into it and get closer and closer as we look at this passage. Essentially, every portion of this letter that Paul has written to the Thessalonians is to remind them that Christ is coming. And because Christ is coming, that should, one, establish our hearts. Two, it should encourage our hearts. But three, it should give an enduring faith to our hearts to keep pressing forward, awaiting the day of the Lord's return, of Him calling His people out of there. Now let's look first of all in verse number six. Today. We're going to see Timothy's good report. Timothy comes back. He says, Timothy came from from you unto us, right? Because he had been sent to Thessalonians. Now he's come back. He brought us good tidings of your faith and charity that ye have good remembrance of us always. Edward writes, Evidently Timothy got to Thessalonica and found to his pleasant surprise that the believers were standing firm in the faith. Paul, meanwhile, had gone to Corinth and here the good news reached him that his converts were bearing up courageously in spite of the pressures put upon them. If you remember when Paul was there and first established the church, that there was a great deal of persecution that immediately came from the Jewish people to Paul and his, his uh, cohorts. Then what we find is that Paul continues to go from place to place, continuing to preach the gospel, continuing to see souls saved, establish churches, and now he is away. But when Paul is away, he's never in a place of safety. He's always in a place where people are still yet coming against him. He is not living a, a comfortable Christian life as you and I so want to have. 
And let's be honest, none of us like persecution, none of us like hard times, and I don't even think that the Apostle Paul did, but he knew that it was to come. He had just told them in the previous couple of verses, verses uh, uh, 3, 4, and 5, about how there must be afflictions, and there will be afflictions, and it's the afflictions that try and test our faith, that grow our faith, that strengthen our faith, that help to establish our faith. But if we were reminded that Timothy comes back, and the reason why he was sent is because think about the heart of Paul and the others. In verse number one, wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, right? He says, we, we, we could no longer take it. And so to hear this news is wonderful for him. Morris writes, the news was a veritable gospel for Paul, reminding him of the faithfulness and the power of God. Let's pause there for a moment. This is a reminder. When we hear of other churches doing well, you know what it should do? One, not make us jealous. Two, not make us envious of, well, well, how come they got more or they got this or they got a new building? Rather, what it should do is if they are preaching the gospel and the Lord is doing something through them, we should rejoice. It should bring great joy that God's faithfulness and power is being displayed in other parts of the world, even other parts of the town. I thank God that my buddy John Tilly over at Bethel Baptist is growing the church. That's a prayer. That is, that is not something that we should go, oh, well, how come they're getting more than what we... How come their grow, numbers are growing faster than our numbers are growing? We should praise God that there's any numbers. We should praise God that there's anyone saved. We should praise God that God is doing any work at all on our behalf. To think that God would do anything for us, that must be where, the, where we get to as a, as a Christian, as a church. But Paul here is encouraged. He says, he continues on in this quote, it put new heart into him and enabled him to go about his work with vigor and certainty. The Thessalonians had shown faith and love. They had not been wanting in the, uh, wanting in the right attitude either to God or man. But the good news did not stop there. Not only were the converts sound in doctrine and impeccable in conduct, they also retained warm feelings towards Paul. They had pleasant memories of the preachers and longed to see them again, where the verb epipatheo marks uh, uh, an intensity of feeling as it nearly always does, right? You can see it's 2 Cor 5.2, Philippians 1.8, 2.26. The yearning for a reunion was mutual and reveals once more something of Paul's tender regard for his Thessalonian converts. Think about this. Here's what he says. At the very end of the verse, desiring greatly to see us as we also to see you. This whole verse is packed full of good news. Right, This is getting the good news back if you write a letter. Hey, how are you doing? This is sending the text message. Hey, are you doing okay? I've been concerned for you. And they reply back with, everything is great. And you can see the report here. Notice this in, in, in verse 6. We find that they are clearly growing in doctrine and in the way in which they were to live. So it was not just that they were learning some things, but they were living out what they were learning. They were living out the Christian life. And the Christian life is living out the knowledge of God. As He reveals Himself to us and we respond to Him, it grows us. It causes us not just to have swelled heads that know a lot of doctrine or maybe straight as an arrow with Bible doctrine, but are able to then live that Bible doctrine out. That's what we're called to do. He says, uh, And brought us good tidings of your faith and charity. Spiritually, they were progressing in faith and love. Before we go any further, are we progressing spiritually in faith and love? It is one thing to progress 
and a mental or educational knowledge about God or about doctrines or about the Bible. And it is a whole other thing to grow in faith. Faith is a dependence and a trust upon God and God alone. Faith believes God at His Word. It not merely knows His Word. It not merely understands His Word, but it believes His Word. And there lies the difference. They're growing in faith. Faith that is now being established, being encouraged, and it leads to love. Where you find real faith, you should find real love. Now, you can fake love on the outside. You can say, I love you, till the sun goes down and comes back up again, but real love is not merely expressed by words, but it is expressed by deeds And even more so, God sees the heart of the Thessalonians and God sees the heart of us today, whether we, one, have real faith or two, are expressing real love. And I can tell you the reason why we have faith in the Lord is because we have experienced His real love for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. It is God who loved us first, not we that loved God first. It is because He loved us that we now love Him. And because now their love, that that love is there and abides within us, we now have faith and the Lord, and putting our faith in the Lord, what does it also naturally do? It grows and strengthens our love, not just for God, but for God's people. This was a church clearly that understood some things. They knew what it meant to be faithful in the midst of persecution, and they knew how to love one another in the midst of persecution. They faced difficult times, and instead of retreating to their own homes, or to their own hearts, or to their own minds, or to their own ideas, They retreated to the solace of the local church. They retreated to Christ Himself, to His body of believers. They were progressing in faith and love. And I can tell you this, if you are progressing in love, real love, it is because you are progressing in real faith. The two will always go hand in hand and build upon one another. The The more faithful you are, the more loving you should be. First John talked about it a lot when we went through it. If we think about this, you can tell a mature Christian not so much based upon how much they know mentally about God, even not so much how often they are at church, but rather, do they have love? A genuine love for God and a genuine love for His people. I get real suspicious about folks' faith, especially when they call it saving faith, but they don't love church or they don't love God's people or being around God's people. If if we are at the place where we see a fellow church member in Walmart and we try to go down another aisle just to avoid saying hello, there's something wrong there, isn't it? Now, if you saw your brother that you love in Walmart, would you go down another aisle to avoid saying hi to him? I'm asking y'all, I ain't got no siblings. I don't know what I'd do, right? (laughs) Right? You'd want to go say hi, wouldn't you? He's your family. Now, if we understand this, what is the body of Christ? It is even much more than a family. It is a living organism that you and I are a part of. We belong not just to the Lord, but we belong to one another. So they're growing in faith. They're growing in love. Faith and love make up the foundation of, of real faith and growth in Christ. Faith and love make up the Christian church. If we are to be known, 
And to be frank, we don't have to be known. Our church name does not have to be known. What must be known about us, though, if anything, or what we would want to be known about us, is that we are faithful and loving. What often happens is this, is we go to extremes. we got this extreme over here that is all love and no real faithfulness to doctrine. It is ooey and gooey and wonderful and makes you feel just warm and fuzzy. It is very loving. It is very kind. It is very compassionate. It is very merciful. It is very giving. Well, that's a wonderful, loving church, isn't it? But if they're missing faithfulness to Bible doctrine, there's an issue, isn't there? Would you agree? We would probably call it a liberal church to not hold the faithful Bible doctrine. However, over here, we've got many who, as long as I'm, you know, I'm faithful to the Word, so therefore I don't need any sort of compassion or mercy or love or kindness or to do anything like that. No, I'll, I'll save that for those liberal churches. As long as I'm straight, what starts happening is this side starts adding things to God's Word and this side starts taking things away from God's Word. And meanwhile, here's God's Word that says you must be faithful in all Bible doctrine, even the ones that you don't like or don't fully grasp. That's what faith is for. And it says because you are faithful to My Word, then you must be faithful in love, not just to Me, but to my people. And my people are imperfect. Even at times, sinful. Can you believe it? Yes, because he's talking about us. He's excited because, notice the second part of verse, of the verse here. Growing in faith, growing in love, that ye have good remembrance of us always. Not only are they growing spiritually in faith and love, but they also have not believed the slanders about Paul's ministry. Remember at this time, much of what Paul spent, like nearly an entire chapter and a half so far in this short letter, has been, don't believe the lies. I care for you. I've exhorted you like a father teaches his children. I care for you and love you like a mother uh, who holds on to her children and protects them. Right? He's expressed his deep concern, his deep love for them. And so clearly, Paul cares about them. Matter of fact, early, or excuse me, earlier on we had studied this, but it was at the end of chapter 2. Paul says, Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again. But Satan hindered us. There's been a hindrance to keep Paul from going back, but he was able to send Timothy. He could no longer forbear to wait what was going on with this church. It was as if the church was his own child. He cared for them. He longed for them. Not just to know and to see if they're doing good so he can go, good job, Paul, you did a good thing. You did a good job. You made a church. Way to go. That's not the case at all. Paul cares for their souls and that they are not, as verse 5 tells us, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Verse 5 shows us Paul's great concern is that they somehow get off course in faithful doctrine and go somewhere wayward or that they aren't loving one another and that there's some sort of sin in the church or disunity in the church. And he's concerned because what does the devil like to do? The devil will always attack the foundation of God's Word. If he can get you to doubt God's Word, well, that weakens your faith, doesn't it? 
it weakens your practice because you won't practice what you don't believe, right? If you don't believe it, why would you practice it? Why would you live it out? Especially to the degree that the Bible calls us to do so. Or he causes us to get in this mess where we have divisions and fighting and we just don't love one another. We just barely tolerate one another. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, tolerate ye one another. He said, love one another as I have loved you. And so the devil always attacks these two things, does he not? He attacks faith because if he attacks faith, then the outward love and the expression of it, of real faith, it will be destroyed. It will bring about division and discouragement amongst the church. And the, the devil himself loves nothing more than to spread tares amongst the wheat, if you will. He says, you've desired greatly to see us as we also to see you. Well, that's encouraging, isn't it? Thomas writes, they still maintain a warm spot for him, matching his own tender longing to see them. Now, could you imagine this, right? Before you were dating that special someone and you wrote them that little letter and you're like, you know, you do the whole country song, do you love me, check yes or no, right? <laughs> and, and they just, they add another line and they put maybe and then they check that one. Not sure. You're like, ooh, ah. Or maybe you get it back and they check no, and you're like, oh, man, that's embarrassing because now they're going to tell everybody it's just going to be a mess, right? This is third grade. Things are getting serious, right? We think, of though, about life here. Could you imagine if Paul felt so strongly for this church and he gets the news back that they want nothing to do with him, they are weak in the faith, they have no love for one another, and they believe the lies that he was just a con and a swindler? That'd be crushing, wouldn't it? It'd be crushing to think so. Now, is Paul's ministry based on how he feels? No, it's not based on emotions. It's based on the gospel, the death, burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. He tells us this over and over and over again. And the focus is now that Christ is returning, therefore we must continue to press on and to persevere. But did he care about what they thought and the degree that it would cause their faith to slip? Yes. Matter of fact, it would have been a telltale sign where their faith was. If they would have said, Paul, we want nothing to do with you. It would have been a telltale sign that either you had some who were faithful and others who were not, or that you had some who were loving and others that were not, and that there would have been a great division amongst them. Instead, he finds them faithful. Now, Paul's response here in verse 7 through 10 tells us this, Therefore, brethren, we were comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. There is nothing more comforting to a pastor or a preacher or a missionary than to see lasting fruit. And it takes a long time to see lasting fruit, to find faithful people. It brings comfort. Remember, before, he was anxious, if you will. He could no longer forbear. He was pacing the floor back and forth, twiddling his thumbs, you know, in almost a, a panic of going, what has happened to these to this church, I, I must know, are they okay? Do they need, can I get there? Why can't I get there? All of these things. And now he hears this, and it brings comfort to his heart. But notice this, comforted over you in all our affliction and distress by your faith. So this tells us something here. That though there is affliction in our life, and though there is distress in our life, there can still be comfort in the midst of it. We think that comfort is the absence of conflict. 
Rather, biblical comfort from the Lord is comfort or peace in the middle of conflict. It is that while the storm rages and while the battle rages, that we can be comforted knowing that the Lord cares, the Lord is with us, and the Lord is doing a work. Jesus could sleep in the boat in the midst of the storm. Why? Because He was Jesus. There's nothing more comforting knowing that if He decides to, uh, to say, peace be still, then He can do it. There's also nothing more comforting knowing that He said, they're, they're rowing the boat. It's okay. I mean, when we think about this, but the others there in the boat that night who were well-trained fishermen, knew storms, had seen storms, weren't so comforted, were they, when the water started coming in? Here's what was happened to you and I when the water starts coming into our boat. One, we've got to not just jump out of that thing. Because there's more water out of the boat than there is in it. Does that make sense? What we must do is be comforted knowing that God knows and cares and is doing a work in it. Paul has faced affliction. And he's going to face more affliction, mind you. But he is comforted by the faith of the Thessalonians. It should bring comfort to your heart that you are not the only believer. It should bring comfort to your heart that we are not the only biblical uh, preaching church. It should bring comfort to your heart that there are souls being saved in other parts of this world that you and I will never see, know, or even hear of. It should bring comfort to our hearts knowing that God is always building His church. That God is always at work in the world today. That should be a comfort to, to our hearts. Thomas writes, It is the Thessalonians' faith that encourages Paul. Since they are willing to depend on God for help against impossible obstacles, Paul himself has an additional incentive to do this. In fact, he regularly derives personal encouragement from other believers. And let's make this real simple. Do individual believers need other believers? Yes. That is the whole point of church, that we belong to one another because we are there to encourage one another. You want to know what's discouraging as a church member? Other church members that don't give a hoot about being a church member. You know what's discouraging to church members? When other church members aren't there. I can tell you things that break church members' heart, and especially a pastor's heart. It's when us as church members aren't living up to what that means. When I do that myself, I go, what am I doing? If I would want them to do it, how come I'm not doing it? We've got to see here that if we want encouragement and we want others to encourage us, we should therefore be encouraging. Nothing will spread in a church like negativity except for positivity. And we often spread negativity. We do so by one, not coming. Because it tells what you really think, unfortunately. Two, we spread negativity by simply being negative. You know, I don't like the songs today. They're not peppy enough. Or that preacher just preaches all the time. It's the same thing over and over. It's so long-winded. This pew is, it makes this squeaky sound when I sit on it. I just, whatever it might be. 
So I'm not going to sing loud. I'm not going to give out of abundant heart. I'm not going to you know, close my eyes and pray while they're praying. I'm just checking my clock. We've got to see here. If we want an encouraged church, and how many of us would want an encouraged church? Of course, all of us would say, of course we want an encouraged church. We want an enduring church. We must be encouraging one another. If Paul needed the encouragement of other believers, what makes us think that we don't? If Paul saw that he couldn't go at it alone and attack this world by himself, what makes us think that we can? I am not the Apostle Paul. I am not an apostle. And my name's not even Paul. I'm Joe. And I can't go it alone. Paul couldn't. You and I cannot. Nor should we settle for it. Morris says, Paul uses the present tense in the verb live. It was not a passing burst of inspiration he got from the news from Thessalonica, but something that remained and would remain with him. This is more than physical life. It is all the fullness of the Christian life. Notice this, he says, Therefore, brethren, we are comfort over you in all of our affliction and distress by your faith, for now we live. We are alive. We are living. We will continue to live. If you stand fast in the Lord, what helps us stand fast when others stand fast? What helps us be faithful when others are faithful? Now, we keep saying when others are faithful, but you know what? You're a part of the other for somebody else. You are the other one for somebody else in this room, in your home. We must see this. Now, this brings great joy. He's able now to stand fast. Every Christian needs the church. Members of the church need the body. What it brings is comfort and joy. For what thanks we render to God again for you, for all joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. The fullness of the Christian life is lived with great joy in the service of the Lord, even and especially in the midst of great tribulations. You say, well, it's hard being a Christian. It's hard being anything. But you know, being a Christian is a whole lot easier when we allow the fruit of the Spirit to be what the fruit of the Spirit are. And it produces real joy. That even in the midst of affliction, even in the midst of persecution, even in the midst of uncertainty, that we serve a certain God. We can grow in faith. We can grow in love. And it brings about a joy as we are able to stand fast in the midst of this difficult day of which we live. The fullness of the Christian life is one that is able to stand fast in the Lord in faithful endurance. You want to know if you're living the Christian life? Really living it? It can be found in this chapter that we've dealt with. Are you settled? Established? Encouraged? Enduring? And experiencing and expressing the life of Christ? These things all come together. But there's many Christians who live their life with the just highs and just lows. And they ride it, woof, 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 woof. They're carried about with the wind. They are going a thousand miles a minute and then all of a sudden stopped. We've got to see here that we must stand fast in these days and we must stand fast together. 
What is stronger? One man fighting an army or an army fighting an army? An army. The church of God is called to be militant. We are referred to so many times as soldiers, that there is a fight, that there is warfare, that there is armor, that there is a sword. We miss out on experiencing all that God would have us to experience. All that He would love to give us. Sorensen writes, Paul thus was the most thankful for these brethren for which he had been so concerned. He phrases his thought to the effect, I hardly know where to begin to thank God for you. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy with we joy for your sakes before God. He thus thanked God for the joy that he had rejoicing for their sakes. Moreover, that thanksgiving on their behalf was a part of a greater prayer life. When is the last time that you were able to leave church and thank God that you were at church that day? When is the last time that you gathered with the saints of God or even just for fellowship or a meal and just were able to thank God that you were able to do that and to thank God for the other brothers and sisters around you? Not thank God I'm not as bad as so-and-so or thank God I don't sing as bad as sister so-and-so, but to thank God that you were with those folks and encouraged by them. I love congregational singing. You know why? Praises the Lord, doesn't it? And it encourages the saints. Why? Because I'm not singing alone or by myself. That wouldn't be very encouraging, would it? You would need some faithful endurance to get through that, and so would I. But when we lift up our voices together, it encourages us to sing all the more. I love folks like myself that can't sing a lick, but sing out anyways. You know why? Because it's what God calls us to do. God calls us to sing and to do so together, not just for His name's sake and His glory's sake and to praise Him, but because it helps build and edify the church. Because when I look around when we're singing, I know I'm not alone. You go, well, I, I want to close my eyes and just sing the Lord. Well, do that. But know that there's other people doing that too. That you're surrounded by people who are part of the same body as you are, who's who were bought by Christ's blood, who are built by God's hand. This helps to establish us. This helps to encourage us. This helps us to endure. The life of faith that is established, encouraged, and enduring is a life that produces great joy. Joy is one of the great marks of a believer and great gifts to a believer. Joy is a gift and a fruit. Now I can tell you this, you and I will only be as joy-filled as we want to be joy-filled. You and I will be only as joyful as we want to be joyful. You say, well, how am I supposed to be joyful? I don't know, have you considered the gospel before? Have you thought about Christ for a moment? Have you thought about the local church beyond what you think it ought to look like and what God says it should look like? Have you thought about the things of God it should bring you joy. It should bring us joy to walk through those back doors. It should bring us joy even on the days that we don't feel like it. I can be honest with you, there's days I don't feel like it. And if we were driven by our feelings, we would never experience a second of joy in our life. And the great attack of Satan today is to steal your joy. How does he do this? By one, 
making sure you don't get established too deep in the faith. Satan loves it when you grow without roots. He loves it when you spring up and then the sun comes and beats you back down. Or he loves it when you build your faith amongst some rocks and you can't really get a good good grip down deep with your roots. He loves it when he can fly on by and scoop up the seed. He's fine if you grow, but not with deep roots that are established. He doesn't want you encouraged. This has to happen before this happens. And this happens as I see others being established in the faith, as God continues to grow my roots deeper and deeper, that I can now begin to spring up with that joy of encouragement to then encourage one another. And then as well, enduring faith. The devil is fine if you serve the Lord, but not for your whole life and not with your whole life. Many Christians are fine if you are smart in Bible doctrine and caring and encouraging, and sometimes they'd like a little bit of both. But enduring faith shows that these two are happening. And what does this all look like? It is a Christian that is filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. It looks like what we're supposed to look like. When was the last time that we had joy in our Christian life? When is the last time that other brothers and sisters around you in church brought you joy and not contempt? We need a revival of joy in the church today. And it will only happen as we are established in the faith, encouraged in the faith, and enduring in the faith And as we look not to ourselves, but we look to Christ and His church and His Word that builds us up. Let's stop there for the day. Let's pray. Lord, we come to You. We want to thank You for Your faithfulness. God, we thank You that we have You to come to, to rest in, to encourage us, to strengthen us, to establish us, to to give us enduring faith as well, God, that You have given us Your church, Lord, to do the same. Help us, O Lord, to experience joy once more, Lord, that You would... Restore the joy of Your salvation that You've given to us, God, that we might consider Christ today. We might consider Your church. We might consider Your Word that You would fill us up and strengthen us. God, we love You. We thank You for this time. I pray that You go before us, prepare our hearts to worship You in spirit and in truth today, that You would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all, we'll take a pause for the cause. we got uh, men's prayer room over here and ladies' prayer room as well.